It's hard, even sometimes impossible, to advance upward on a steep climb if you're laden down with a load. You all know that. The sins, verse 1, are like the load of sin that inhibited Christian in Bunyan's allegory for from being able to make any progress in spirituality. You remember the story, maybe you won't. But anyway, Mr. Worldly Wise Man gave Christian this very wrong counsel. Here's what he told him. Why in yonder village, the village is named Morality, in yonder village there dwells a gentleman whose name is Legality. A very judicious man and a man of very good name that has the skill to help men off with such burdens as yours. His burdens of sin. Yes, to my knowledge, he has done a great deal of good this way. Hey, and besides, he has skill to cure those that are somewhat crazed in their wits with their burden. And, and if he should not be at home himself, he has a pretty young man, his son, whose name is Civility, that can do as well as the old gentleman himself. So there I say, you may be eased of your burden, burden of sin. Yet instead of getting better for a Christian, things got worse. We read, behold, when he was now hard on the hill, and the hill is Mount Sinai, it seemed so high, and also the side of it that was next to the wayside did hang so much over that Christian was afraid a further venture, the hill would fall on his head. Wherefore, there he stood still and knew not what to do. Also, his burden now seemed heavier to him while he was in, than when he was in the way. There came flashes of fire out of that hill, and, and it made Christian afraid that he should be burned. <laughs> And now he began to be sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wise Man's counsel. And with that, he saw evangelists coming to meet him. Evangelists scolded Christian for ignoring his instruction and set him again towards the wicked gate where Mr. Goodwill met him and pointed him to interpreter and to patience who in turn directed Christian to Mount Calvary. And now I saw in my dream that the highway up with Christian was to go when fenced on either side with a wall, and the wall was called salvation. Up this way, therefore, he went, and burdened Christian run but not with great difficulty, without great difficulty, because of the load that was on his back. He ran thus until he came 
at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross. And a little below in the bottom, a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came to the cross, his burden loosed off from his shoulders and fell down from his back and began to tumble and roll and so continued until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Wow. Did Bunyan know the gospel? Wish we knew it like that. Brethren, this was not only the beginning of spiritual life for Christian, but was the start of spiritual growth. He had to be rid of his sins before he could make any real progress. He had to meet Christ at the cross. And thereafter, discernment began to set in and evil people like simple and sloth and presumption and formalist and hypocrisy did not have the influence on Christian that they might have had otherwise. His true friends were also on the path to the celestial city. Prudence, charity, watchful. And they were of great help to him as they helped one another. I like that. Little or no progress can be made spiritually while you're carrying around the burden of sin. Sins like those in verse 1. You will need, you will need Christian friends, fellow patriots, if you're going to make any headway. I don't believe the Christian life can be lived alone. Those who try are devoted, not devoted, excuse me, devoured by the evil one who lies in wait to shoot arrows at all who try to enter through the wicked gate onto the narrow road. So yes, shed the impediment of sin, discover who you true friends are on this journey, and make them your companions. Why do I say that? Because godly friends will pray for you, and they'll pray with you, They will direct you with God's word. They will say, well, did you know that Paul wrote, did you know that Jesus said, so on. They will alert you to the dangers and pitfalls of the journey because they have been there too. Watch out for that curve around the corner. There is a terrible, ferocious lion waiting for you around that corner. He's chained But if you stay to the outer part of the the pathway, he won't be able to reach you. Who's that lion? We have Satan who is a roaring lion desiring 
to devour you. Godly friends will pray for you and they'll pray with you and they will direct you to God's word and they will alert you to dangers and pitfalls. And if you slip, and this is very important, your godly friends will pick you up. They will. If you wander into forbidden paths, they will call you back. Don't go there. Don't do that. If you ask them questions, they will have the answers. And if they don't, they will find them. My sister's a great advocate of this. She gets asked a question, she'll say something like, to the person that asked her, I don't know the answer, but I know the one who does. And I will get back to you. She doesn't try to snow the person and say something that is just off the top of her head. But she knows the book. And she knows the author of the book. And she can go there with her concordance and she can find the answer. But such people will not befriend you until you shed the baggage of sin. That's listed in verse 1. Because till you do, they will not see you as trueborn, as newborns in the faith, and they will not trust you. Nor would you trust them if the tables were reversed. So the first impediment for our spiritual growth are these the burden of sin that we carry. We have to shed those things. God's people will help. Second impediment. Tasting but not craving. The unadulterated word of God. It is craving what we once tasted that makes for spiritual growth. Let me read it for you. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Tasting is okay when you're starting out. You can't stay there, not if you want to grow. Years ago, Dee and I were in Florida visiting friends down there, and we were invited to a small house farm where the people, you know, they were into uh, raising everything for themselves, chickens, goats, you name it, crops. But two of their ewes were at the end of their five-month, five-month, that's it, gestation period, and then they have their kids, their little goats. Well, two of those goats were ready to calf, and we had just finished our dinner, and we were about to eat dessert when the next-door neighbor pulled into the driveway to inform our host that his ewe had just given birth to a kid out in the pasture, baby goat. All of us vacated the table to go see the sight. 
And there was Princess, that's what the kids named the goat right away. There was Princess suckling on Mama Goat for all she was worth, trying to get in get, get to ingest as much milk as her little little stomach could hold. What I'm saying is that she came through birth hungry. Hungry. And in her hunger, she craved the life-giving milk. Some people have tasted that the Lord is good. The Bible talks of that. But they are satisfied year in and year out to sip on the milk his grace provides without getting too excited about feasting on it. Every first Monday of the month, I go to the pastor's fellowship in Flint that has to do the various pastors of our organization come together, and we go to eat at the Golden Corral. Have you ever eaten over the Golden Corral? It's like a smorgasbord of food that is available, and I'm ashamed to say, but when I get there, I pig out eating things <laughs> probably I shouldn't eat and more of it than I should eat, but I'm hungry for I'm tired and fed up with my own cooking, <laughs> so away I go. You know, in the spiritual realm, God expects us to pig out on his word. And to learn as much as we can about him and his salvation. You can't do this by tasting, by sampling, by counting calories. Sometimes a person will say, you know, I have a craving for chocolate. What do they mean? Are they satisfied to have a spoonful of chocolate ice cream or one bite of a chocolate cake? Oh, <laughs> not hardly. They order a chocolate cake with fudge icing on top and a scoop of chocolate ice cream on top of that. That's a craving. They can't get too much. In the spiritual realm, growth cannot come any other way we will grow proportionate to what we ingest those who nibble or munch or sip and taste God's word will never amount to anything in maturity of the faith listen to David's testimony this is a king oh how I love your law I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all of my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might Obey your word. I've not departed from your laws, for you yourselves have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, and I will follow your righteous laws. Psalm 119, verse 97 and following. Or again, he says, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there's great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins that may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Psalm 19, verse 9 and following. One great impediment to our spiritual growth is that we do not see God's word as essential to it. We do not love the instructions of God as we should. We read other books. We pursue other interests. Not necessarily bad, but not as beneficial as applying ourselves to the wisdom of the Bible. We have to get past tasting and start craving. I was thinking about this. I was thinking... From where do cravings arise? Well, I think they arise from deprivation. From going without. And if you go without for a long period of time, you just start getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier for what it is that you're missing. God warned Israel of a famine like no other. Here's what he said. The days are come. This is Amos, the prophet Amos writing. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Amos 8, verse 11 and 12. Wow. God would do that? God has done that and continues to do that in various places. It's great mercy from God to have his word readily available. It's not always so. It wasn't that way. You know, before the printing press, there might be only one Bible for the entire town. One Bible for an entire town. Say, well, how'd that work? They chained it to a podium in the town square. 
And before Bible translations, people had to know Latin to read the Bible, or you had to have a teacher that knew Latin that could read it to you and interpret it. So what is it? The people were starving for the word of God. But we all have two or three Bibles. One for Sunday, one we throw in the camper, one with study notes. But with all the copious copies we possess, are we doing anything more than just tasting the content? Now God does invite us to taste, verse 34 and following of the Psalm 94, Psalm 34, excuse me. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, yeah, okay. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, verse 8. And Peter, alluding to David's psalm, says that his people have tasted. But if we stop there, if... If they do not go on to crave the unadulterated word of God, they will not grow up in their salvation. Verse 2. The writer of Hebrews says it even more seriously than that. He writes, It is impossible for those who once have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, his convicting work and miracles, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, it's impossible if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. That is in their failure to go on in Christ's And to live for him. Hebrews 6 verse 4 and following. God wants us to be more than tasters. But here are people playing church. They are sermon tasters. They come to the assembly with some arrogance and pride. Like the Athenian philosophers came to Paul. Says a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with Paul. Some of them asked what is this babbler talking about? Acts 17, verse 18. The word babbler in the Greek means a seed picker. Birds in the marketplace who pick up the crumbs dropped by others. Every time I go to Walmart or Kmart or any of those stores, what do you see out there when you walk back out to your car? You see these little wrens, or I guess they're wrens or sparrows. They're little birds, okay? What are they doing? They're picking up the crumbs out of candy wrappers, anything they can find that are left by us when we get in and out of our cars. Seed pickers. So they're saying, they're denigrating Paul as one who could not possibly have an original thought, a proponent, he's a proponent of other men's wisdom, but he he doesn't have any original thoughts. He is a bird brain, to use our expression. So their interest in Paul was to belittle him and to ridicule him. That's why they took him up to Mars Hill. 
It wasn't really to learn about God. But he gave them the gospel anyway. Praise God for Paul. Whatever their malefacted motives were, he still gave them the good news of the gospel. And then what they did with it, well, I don't know, that's, that's, that's on their shoulders. Tasters are losers if they stop there. Tasters only will fall away. And to fall away is to die spiritually. Why do people come to church? One person will say, well, and I've had this said to me, oh, I like the music. It's, it's, it's obvious your choir practice, they sing so well. Another one will say, well, you know, I like the quaintness of the architecture. The stained glass windows dating from the 18th century. The bell tower. Kids out there pulling on the rope. The white clapboard siding. The oak wainscoting. Oh, modern architecture just can't compare to the quaintness of your little church. Someone else will say, well, I like the small family atmosphere. I mean, the people are friendly, they're warm, I, I feel welcome here. Others will say, I enjoy the preaching. It's practical, it's relevant. Isn't the same old dribble found everywhere? It's challenging. Let me just say with all kindness, if any of these things comprise the reason why you're here this morning, you are in trouble spiritually. You are a taster of the good things of God, but you don't know him as Savior. When will you get past church as something that exists to satisfy you and onto church as the learning and fellowship center where you can meet with God and He with you? Where's the craving? To know the word of God. And in particular to know the Christ of whom John wrote. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John 1, verses 1 through 5. Are you still in the dark about Jesus? I don't know. Are you? Well, if you are, I know why. And it's because you have no craving to know God. You have other reasons for being associated with God's people. You are playing at Christianity If you continue on that course, your sins will be yours on your shoulders as they were on Christian's shoulders on his pilgrimage until he came to the foot of the cross. What would have happened to him had he not come to Christ? 
He would have been Christian in name only. His sins would not have rolled off his back. They would have dragged him to death and the grave and to hell, which in the scripture is called the second death. We need to be serious about why we come to church and for what reason. We need to cast our sins upon Christ. We need to desire to worship him. We need to look to the cross and live. God commands you to take him and his salvation very seriously. And when we do, there's joy and emancipation to follow. May the Lord grant that to all of us. Thank you, Father, for your word. Pray your blessing upon it. Help us to get a right head about us, to crave right things, lasting things, things that will change us and will equip us for glory. Forgive us where our uh, desires have been less than noble. Forgive us for playing at church. We're seeing it as some badge of acceptance with God. Well, at least I go to church. Well, at least I pray. But if we don't know the Savior, the church isn't going to help us. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to focus in on that one person who can really benefit us with our sin and our estrangement from you, and that's your son, Jesus, where he stepped in on the cross and became the substitute for all who would believe in him. Substitute for what? For your right Rightful punishment for sin. As the scripture says, by your stripes, by your whippings, by your torture, by what you endured, we are set free. Help us to see that. And as we close, Lord, we thank you for doing that. I don't think we say thank you enough. But we are thankful. Help us to live our lives in a way that shows that we are thankful. To the praise and glory of your name, we ask these things. Amen. From Trinity, the Red Hymnal, number 590. Five ninety in the red hymnal. Let's stand as we sing.
like that last verse in particular. Lord, you need us not, I know, service such as I can bring. Yet I long to prove and show full allegiance to my king. Thou in honor art to me, so let me be a praise to thee. That's a good mentality, spiritual mentality for the Christian life. God has done so much for us. What can we do for him to advance his kingdom? Well, tonight we meet downstairs, fellowship time at 6, studies in the life of Samson, and I need to meet with the deacons and elders immediately now after morning worship. We are dismissed.